so it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to what is the final episode of the Running Rugby Podcast for 2020. And I can't say that it, it ended in amazing fashion for us boys. And it was a little bit disappointing watching some of these games from the weekend. Obviously, Australia-Argentina ends with another draw. That's two from two draws, three draws for the Wallabies in this set of internationals this year. I've got Toby and Leo here. Let's see what their reactions were to that. Boys, before we get to the game, we witnessed a bit of a first to start off with. Um, we had an, another game playing in the Indigenous jersey. And before that, for the anthems, we actually had what was a first, it sounds like, in Australian sport. Uh, the anthem performed with a verse in the native Eora language, an Indigenous Aboriginal language of the local region there in Sydney, that had been made by a local high school student. Thoughts on it, boys? I thought it was well executed. Um, I think, you know, there's there's gestures that are, you know, easy to go and spend a bit of money and fly a few f- flags and this, that and the other. And then there's, you know, action, which, albeit this probably doesn't change anyone's life measurably just through the act. I think it's an important development and evolution of the anthem uh, if rugby's going to do it, if other sports pick it up, it just gets a little bit more uh, of the of the kind of the I guess the healing or the the involvement inclusion of, of indigenous culture in what is modern Australian culture. I think it was pretty well executed. The players obviously put some effort, time after training each day of the week to to learn it, and you know see some guys were belting it out as best they could. Um, so first first go right like. None of them, it's not like they've learnt a song in the language they speak. They've learnt a language and, and a song. And um, I take it as a gesture and an act which, you know, took some effort, took some focus, time out of their week, distraction from their normal preparation. I think it's it's valuable and I'm happy to see more of it if it comes. Yeah, I'd echo those sentiments, Leon. I think you're right. Like, it, they took time out to do this. The players actually took it on board and, and looked like they were putting in the effort and, that's all really you can do. I think at this stage, it's it's something new. People are going to be critical of it. People are going to say it's an empty gesture. But you know, actions speak louder than words. And the the Wallabies and Rugby Australia are trying to promote Indigenous culture into their game and encourage younger players to get involved in rugby. And I think it's it's about respect and it's about encouraging the integration of Indigenous culture into society in Australia, which has probably been lacking. I'd say in the in our past in our history, so you know change is going to rock some people to the core sometimes, and people are going to disapprove. But we'll see what happens next year whether they continue this or whether it's just a one-off thing. But you know it's kind of up to the public, I think, to decide if it was good or if it was bad. To you know personal preference in these things, but from an organisational perspective, I think it was the right thing to do, and it, and it was a nice nice thing to see on the day. 
I think it pairs well with the Indigenous jersey because that is something where, you know, they bring in someone to design a jersey and, and then the players just wear it. Like, it doesn't take any extra effort for the players to wear that, for the manufacturer to make that. Like, it just you just roll it out with a bit of extra money and someone in the organisation has been tasked with pulling it together. Um, you know, this, from my experience, is the first time at an international sporting match with an Australian team They've done this now. That's that's me, but I'm not across every sport, and it's quite possible they've done it in multiple other places. But if I'm your average rugby fan and I haven't seen it yet, well, this is and you know something new for me, and it, it just ties in with all the other um, sort of movements that have been going on recently. Like things like Black Lives Matter are mostly just kneeling signs. Um, you know, it's gestures, but it's gestures on mass action by many, and it and it gets the gets the conversation going in, in a lot of different areas. So anything that continues and sustains the conversation, I'm a fan of. I think that's right. And look, like Hooper got asked at the end of the game in the post-match whether he thought it should be a regular in the Australian anthem or made permanent. And like I think what you said, um, guys, it's it's not a rugby decision, is it? It's not up to the players. It's not up to the Wallabies. It has to be a thing that's embraced um, by the general population, um, both Indigenous and otherwise, that they want this as part of uh, what they see. But again, it's giving that an option and it's showing how it could work for the future. To the game now. And the Wallabies, it was a very, very similar feeling game to that game two weeks previous in uh, Newcastle. You started off for this first sort of 10 minutes, 15 minutes, Australia was in the Argies half. They were attacking their line. They looked like they were on the verge of breaking through just for something to not quite go right. The Pumas to pull off an amazing tackle and jar the ball loose for us to knock it on. Something to happen. And we, we just couldn't get the points in. And it took multiple penalties and a yellow card to Crema before they decided to take the three points. Yeah, which you can argue we we should have known better. We we should have recognised that of the three games we could have seen, the one we're involved in and two against the All Blacks, this Argentinian defence is probably their strongest feature. It was it was amazing in their win against the All Blacks. It held us at bay through some of our best attack of this season uh, two weeks ago, and even in a game which they were you know held scoreless and flogged by the All Blacks, like they were certainly putting on hits and. And really, they were just just outmastered eventually. So, should we have recognised that and taken some more points? Possibly, but yes. you know, it, uh, yeah. Obviously, Archie Archie's been strong that we should be. Um, I, I don't know if there's a black and a white to it, but the the context of the game matters. And I think if you're at ground level in the playing group and you've just had a great run of attack and the, the opposition concede a penalty because they're getting desperate, they're slow to get off the ruck, they're offside. Um, you know, they're putting on a loose tackle and you look them in the eyes and you can see that they're flagging and they, they want some relief. Well, maybe you say, well, k- kicking a few points is good, but it gives them that relief and gets them up the field again. Argentina were only really interested in playing territory for most of this game. Um, so, you know, we want, to, we want to keep the pressure on and we seem to have decided to do that a lot recently and maybe we need to recognise that we're not quite um, match ready enough to take it to these teams a, B, or C kind of tier that we're facing and score tries. Maybe we do need to just chip on some points and 
and try and win some games, get some momentum up? For me, probably, I mean, I've already talked to you guys, I've already been vocal that we've seen this Argentinian team make their one-on-one tackles to drive us back. Why not get some early points on the board, put a bit of scoreboard pressure, because obviously just um, territory pressure isn't enough to stop these guys defending their hearts out. Which is why it seemed all the more strange to me, because the one time where I would say, maybe then push your advantage and go for the try is, and when you already have a scrum that you're backing, is maybe when the opposition lose a forward, right? They lost Kremer, they lost a second rower. Why not pack down a scrum right there and then you either get your shove against a seven-man Argentinian scrum, um, scrum or they bring on a back and you have an outnumbered uh, two-on-one that you can create out wide. Why, why then do you go, okay, now we've had enough, now we'll take three? I think they took three at that point because they knew they'd get more opportunities to come back and actually have a crack at them because there was still, say, nine minutes left on the yellow card. So I think it was nice to get those points initially and Hooper probably thought, well, we're still going to have a fair crack with, with a numbers advantage. But it just didn't come to pass, did it? They defended so well, we, even with the yellow card. Um, Argentina, that's consecutive games now where they've 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 defended well, and I mean they did get pasted by the All Blacks last week, but apart from that, they've been pretty solid the whole campaign. And just those one-on-one tackles were so good, so dominant that we just didn't get any ascendancy. We had slow ball, our structures kind of went out the window a little bit, and we just couldn't get on the front foot. And disappointing because. I can understand, Arch, in, you, in that context, why you would say, well, we'll just chip away, get the three, get the three. But I think the game would evolve with that. Um, so, yeah, I think we could have got, say, six, nine points ahead and maybe then the game would open up a bit or Argentina would play a bit more rugby. But we just back ourselves to, to turn pressure into points, which is something we didn't do in the first game against them. And something I think we backed ourselves to do this time around because we're more aware of it. Rennie made a, he had a pretty clear message around that and we just weren't able to do it, um, which is disappointing again. And something that we're going to need to be able to do if, we, if we're going to beat the All Blacks or England or South Africa, if we can't actually create that pressure and then score wide or whatever we need to do, go through the middle, we're going to really struggle. We can't be trying to win test matches scoring less than 20 points. I don't think it's long-term, it's not going to work. So we need to sort our attack out. I think our defense is probably something that we've improved a lot. If you look at that side of things for the Wallabies, we haven't leaked too many points, um, which has been a real positive. But our attack very much needs to be enhanced or we're going to really struggle going forward. What, What do we need in our attack? What's letting us down? Like we had... James O'Connor back in at 10. He was supposed to be a spark for our attack this time. I think we, we were saying that probably the only player that we thought stood up in the back line for this game was probably Hunter Paisami again. Um, had another sort again, of strong yeah. outing. And then again, we were sort of wanting more from seeing a bit more Korobiti. Um The attack seemed to get stifled any time it got to Patea, either through him going for sort of the grubber behind or taking it and, and and not passing on when then there was an overlap what what is the issue here i feel like it's been a really long time 
since we've seen a match where the wingers and the fullback regularly got ball in some space and were, you know, had been had been set up with like a two on one. And, you know, it's just, you know, am, am I drawing the man and passing or am I drawing and he's not committing and I'm going like, how much Corabidi and Tom Wright and and Hodge did we see running freely in space with opportunity in front of them? I, I don't feel like we've seen a lot of that. The ball isn't really making it out there quickly enough. That might be a, a you know, the defences we're facing are both fairly assertive rush-up defences, both All Blacks and Argentina. They're pressuring our centres when they're getting the ball. They know that we're not uh, flush with, you know, really uh, quick-handed playmakers. Um, and our guys are happy to take it into contact. So when they feel under pressure, they're probably making the right decision to just sort of bear down and, and take the contact and look to recycle. But I think that just leaves us with, like, so much ammunition unspent in the game. You don't get enough Corabidi. You don't get enough Tom Wright. Like these are guys with special skills who aren't seeing enough ball in good opportunities, and that's that's certainly part of the the deficiency of, of our attack. And I think our our it's probably just the basic skills still in that nine ten. Well, maybe not even nine. I think Nick White's been pretty pretty consistent really. So probably just ten twelve thirteen. The ball just doesn't move fast enough and accurately enough. Um, you know, we had a really good opportunity where O'Connor cut out one of the centres and got it out to Hodge, but he threw it behind him and Hodge had to pull up and take it over his back shoulder. And, you know, the, the, you've lost the advantage at that point. So I think the difference between... The reason why I don't consider us, you know, as elite... Um, you, every, everyone's elite on their best day. If you play perfect rugby, everyone in the team has great skills. You don't get there without them. But the truly elite aspect is being able to, just you know, use them over and over, and they always deliver. They execute well, and then they execute well in combinations. And I don't think we're doing that well enough from the inside backs. Yeah, I think 10, 12, 13 is where the issue is in terms of combinations. Bringing Jock in, I think you had to do it for creativity purposes. Long-term Hodge is not the, the solution there, and I think... Who knows what it's going to be in 2023? I think that's the ultimate focus here. But Jock at the moment, I think, is our best option at 10. But he's coming back in a little bit rusty, trying to get himself into the game, probably carrying the ball into the line a bit too much, um, which, again, doesn't get the ball out wide when it needs to go. He he was trying to make breaks, I guess, in, in, in close, in tight kind of areas within the middle of the field, and it wasn't working early on. Um I think Batea, like I kind of mentioned last week, he's, his decision-making in attack is still in question, I think. I, I know he's inexperienced. Um, he's still young. But, you know, when the message is, yeah, get the ball in behind kicking, he tends to put grubbers in at the wrong time. He tends to throw wayward passes when he's under pressure. You know, you saw him drop the ball a lot in this game. He has had probably his worst game in the Wallabies jersey at 13. Um and I don't feel like he's a calm head under pressure, which is an issue there at 13. I think defensively he's okay, but in attack, um, he was exposed a little bit here when he was put under pressure. And someone like Hunter at 13 may be actually better at getting the ball wider, quicker, um, and has a better understanding and feel for the game in terms of when to carry it and when not to, when to put those little kicks through. He's a lot better at that. So you got to think, is that going to be an issue going forward at 13 where we're getting stifled 
with Patea there, or is he just you know going through some growing pains and he's going to get better and that's not something to worry about because we've had issues before where say TK is just holding the ball too much and it's not getting to the wingers and 13 such a important position in the back line that you almost need your best player there someone who's so experienced and well not even not even experienced someone that's just has the decision making capacity to to do the right thing at the right time or, or you, your whole back line changes the one benefit that I can see is you're talking about the 10, 12, 13 combo. This is going to be most likely the 10, 12, 13 combo that we see for the Queensland Reds next year. They're going to have an entire super rugby season. Hopefully, um, fingers crossed that we don't have any major injuries, but where these guys can hopefully grow. Because I think I think we'd agree we've seen Hunter really improve at that 12 position in it where we didn't think that he'd be able to sort of flourish in it. And I think it has the potential, that combination, to be something special and something explosive going forward. It's just just quickly, I think he's been our best player in the back line across the series. I think he's he's been excellent. And someone that I doubted going into this um but he he looks like he's almost one of the first picked in that back line at the moment. You got to think is is Patea the same sort of situation that the All Blacks have with Rico Yuani, where you want him to be a thirteen, but is he truly a thirteen? Is it just he hasn't spent enough time there? Um, as you've seen Rico Yuani for the Blues spending more time at thirteen, they've tried to integrate him into thirteen at the All Blacks level hasn't quite worked. Do we have a similar situation now with Patea where you know is it? Time versus talent. There is is he truly a number thirteen, or does he just need more time in the jersey? What's the answer? I'm I'm not quite sure myself, and maybe time will tell. But you know that he doesn't have the same problems on the wing, where he can still use his abilities, but he's not quite in that crucial channel that requires elite level decision making. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Like having someone mature and experienced there is is really valuable having a rookie there you know when teams have blooded a new 13 you would hope that they're surrounded with some other experienced guys and the wallabies are just in this phase where there's some injuries a lot of the senior guys have have moved on we've, we've got a lot of new people coming through and in the six games we've played this international season like we've we've had multiple tens we've had weeks where we weren't sure who the 10 was going to be because of health um, you know, we've had this, the centers mixed up regularly, like pretty much the whole back line, aside from Nick White and Marika Korobiti's been fluxing across the six matches. The All Blacks haven't had to do that. They've chosen to do it when it suited them. But, you know, Richie's been there the whole time. Aaron Smith's been there the whole time when they've wanted them. Similarly, the Argentinians suffered with um, with their flight or with their scrum half, but Sanchez has managed to front up even after getting knocked around. And so... Like those sorts of factors, that that's saying that's you know we're we're standing up to teams who haven't had those challenges, so that we've got to give the the Wallabies some praise there. And uh, I agree. I mean, if we were handing out awards, Hunter's your Hunter's your Rookie of the Year, closely followed by Harry Wilson, I would think. But just the learning curve that Hunter Paisami seems to have shown. Harry Wilson, I, I just thought he was ready, and he looked ready, and he came in, and he was ready, and that's great. But Hunter's gone from a guy no one thought was ready. This is a risk, and every game seems to have developed really well, whereas some of the other guys have stagnated a bit. So 
Um, you know, we've had our challenges. We've, we're not happy with one win, three draws and two losses. But, um, you know, at some point you've got to look at who you're playing and look at how those teams are playing and look at where we're coming from and go, you know, it's disappointing. It's not what we're used to. But if this is our low point, you know, the future's still pretty bright. What about the forwards? You mentioned Harry Wilson there, obviously another guy that's um, started every game for us. I thought that we had a few disappointing performances in this game. People like Hannigan didn't stand up as much. I didn't think our props really were showing quite as much fire as we had seen in previous weeks. It really seemed to make much more of a difference when we started getting a few of those reserves on and they started sort of pushing a bit harder and maybe making a few more metres in attack. Yeah, what's going on with Sio and Alatoa? Like, they seem to have dropped their intensity levels noticeably. I saw them gassed a couple of times where they're chasing wingers and they've just absolutely got no chance. They're just... I don't know if they just haven't had enough game time across the series and they've been struggling with that. But just around the paddock, they've... They're not making the carries. They don't seem to be that dominant in defense. I, I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, they, and I don't know if they looked tired the whole time, but they certainly looked like they didn't have a higher gear to go to. And it's that impact carrying the ball where, you know, props are, props are a, a mainstay of that ball carrying. You want them to, to drive you across the line and put in some big clears. You want them to be, you know, big hitters in defense and, you know, they, people should be trying to run away from props because who wants to try and run through a 130-kilo bloke? But they didn't really seem that dominant, and albeit they're against some pretty dominant um, Argentinian defenders all around. But, you know, you'd think they'd still have their moments. And, and those guys have had their moments earlier this year, maybe more in Super Rugby too, but they definitely seemed like we... I, I actively thought during this game, you know, you know, it's a shame Slipper isn't still isn't healthy because Gotti had an impact, and then obviously between him and um, Pangermosa and Tupo, when they're all firing, like they just smash people, and mm-hmm. and you just don't get that that raw grit out of Co and Alator at the moment. Like they're there, and they're doing a bit. They look comfortable. Not... They look just like. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say comfortable, kind of made, complacent. Comfortable, but... complacent, comfortable in the jersey, overly comfortable that we're probably yeah we're easily in the top five props in the country and we're not a threat yeah. I think for their position, which which is probably true. And those two have been around for a long time now, particularly Co. In slippers, look obviously, been around though, for right? a decade. They don't look aggressive no, when they're confronting I've noticed their that opposition. About, I noticed it more with Co. Lately, and then Alatoa last kind of couple of games where Taniel is just completely outplaying him, and he's just not asserting himself at all on the game. And to worry, um, I'm not sure the reasons for that, but we've had to rely a lot more on our second rows for carries. And look, Rob Simmons is not the most athletic guy in the world. Um, Matt Phillips been excellent, and I think he's probably our most improved player in the Wallabies this year. I think he's been excellent. He's played every game. Um, but when you, you're carrying guys like Simmons and Hannigan in that Wallabies 8, your props really do need to step up and do some carrying of the ball, and that's why Taniella, I think, is such a bright point for us. Is it is it is his best time coming on late in games like we saw in this game where he absolutely turned the game on its head and nearly won it for us single-handedly, or do we require him to be out there for longer so we need to start him? Not 
I'm still not sure what the answer is to that question. Start him. But he's he's an excellent player. Hang and on, Arch. You, you start him so you can impact. kick penalties. He probably he could. Probably kick dodgy. <laughs> no, no, no. Not, you see not the passes so he, he was throwing. You start your dominant attackers to get yourself in a position to kick all the threes or to use them to score your tries. Ah, you get some dominant runs, puts the opposition offside, and you get a penalty. Bam. Kick it over. Give it back to him. Taniela needs meat pies. The bottom line, the bottom line is the, the Wallabies backs next year will be have quite a similar, I think, makeup of players, but the forwards will be dramatically different, particularly in second row six, I think. We're well, yet to find yeah. our best six. Our four, five, Second and six are all going overseas. So, the keep Blue Khan probably. He'll be he'll be in there somewhere. But Simmons and Philip are gone at least for a year, so it's going to be dramatically different. Um, and Angus Bell, I think, will come along. So we're just we've got a lot of prospects there, but we've got a lot of gaps still that we need to fill. Speaking of Blue Khan, another few cards in this game. Two yellows, obviously. Marcus Kramer first off, then Hooper. And then a red to Lucan Salakaylo too with his first game back. Most likely will now cop a suspension of some length, whether that's the three weeks or more. Um, first off, do you guys think they were all cards? Have we gone too far now? I think the the two uh, the two yellows were equivalent. I, I don't see enough of a difference within the bracketing of penalty yellow red that you can really say they're different. So, um, unfortunately, I think they are in line with the with the rules as they're written. It just, to me, that just shows how difficult it is to to contest someone at, over your ruck. Like, if, they're, if they've managed to get their feet planted, lean over your side, and they're going for the ball, even though I think most of these guys aren't actually within their rights to have a go because they're leaning on people... Um, they, they are very difficult to dislodge because they're basically, you've got to come in the gate, their head's the first thing you come into contact with and they're not showing that much body for you to grapple with as well. And it's pretty hard to, you know, wrap an arm when you're trying to put a shoulder on a shoulder. Where are you wrapping that arm? Like it's on his head or it's not really in contact. So how do you make a legal clean out by the rules I think is a real problem now when those guys get in that superior position. Uh, Lucan's one, at the, again, at the time, yeah, I think by the rules it is a red. It's it's really it's a it's a it's a not a heavy red, but it's it was a red nonetheless. And I just get really frustrated seeing guys make those sorts of errors. Like Lucan just kind of looks like, oh, not again. Oh, like come on, what what you know? Why can't I get this right? Almost like he's just like, man, it's, you got to take ownership of this. I I, I feel like there's room for um, Rennie to impose. Like if I was I guess Reds come with their own um, own penalties like weeks off and things, but like it's just unacceptable. But I don't know how many red cards we've conceded in the last ten years, but I don't Not remember there being that. this. I don't remember there being a lot of a lot of red cards the decade before. Well, the um, threshold was so much higher, yeah. and it usually involved foul play, like That's right. punches being thrown. Now and you do this the just shows we haven't adjusted. Get sent off. Yeah, so, and we've, we've, got we've to talked be about Lucan's problems with his body height and mostly when he's carrying the ball, but we saw it here again. He's got to get low if he's going to tackle like that. If you want to put big hits on, hit them in the midsection. Don't just run upright into them. 
Um, just disappointing. I mean, we we didn't lose the game because of that, and we had a good, what was it, 20 minutes or something with a man down. Still managed to score a try. So we did okay. But, yeah, we can't we can't let these things become common in our game because it's just going to destroy us mm. um, against the big teams. We'll get punished. We didn't get punished here. I mean, Argentina scored one try over four games. It's Two quite... tries. Sanchez scored oh, one oh. versus the All Blacks. And then Delgai scored in this one. Oh, sorry. You're right. Two. Two and four, that's pretty... I mean... It shows how much rugby they're actually playing. And I don't know if that was just a strategy that they came in with, that they were just going to play without the ball, defend really well, and not try and outscore their opponent like we tend to do. They want to control the game, limit points, and really strangle games. Um, don't know if that was Checker's influence. I'd have to say it probably isn't. People seem to give him a lot of credit for... <laughs> defensive kind of game plans like well, where did you see that for the Wallabies when they were leaking points all over the place yeah. but um, he's more of a motivational guy whatever it is I think we can all safely say that Argentina have announced themselves to be back in that conversation as people that have a chance about against anyone in the world the last sort of two years they've sort of dropped off a little bit you saw their world ranking drop down but they've sort of recaptured a little bit of fire and even with sort of the big controversy over this last week they still managed to come out and yeah it's not maybe the way we want to see rugby played um because we want to see really rapid fast high scoring games but they've come to australia having played no rugby got a win a loss and two draws yeah they should be pretty happy like i was going to bring this up and I will after this with with the Wallabies line. Like, at what point do you consider it a success given our the context of our team? But like the Argentinians have come from a ranking position below their opposition. They've recognised that to stay in these games is important. Like Toby said, to control the the flow of the game, to control how sort of it, it progresses. If you can keep the opposition out then any points you're getting, you're just sort of making decisions to stay in touch versus going for uh, a seven-pointer rather than just a penalty. And to do that, knowing where you sit, like th- that's the sensible thing to do when you know you're not as good as the other team or you where you take the, the position going into the game. We're not as strong as the opposition, so we need to do what we can to control. Big defense, take points when we can, see where we get to in you know the last... 30 minutes and and act from there but we just make sure we're in touch australia maybe need to reset our own perception of ourselves and say okay we're probably down a bit lower in the rankings in reality with this young group we need to do something similar which i think is more aligned to what you were saying archie they need to recognize that accumulating some points controlling the game with your defense against most oppositions will give you a chance to win the game late even when you are a bit outmatched and it's only teams like the all blacks that are just points machines where you kind of just you got to throw caution to the wind fairly early and go well we just got to go in sevens because they score in sevens we've got to score in sevens i think that's very true i and i don't we'll, we'll move off the wallabies in one sec the last thing i want to bring up and it's not because i think we have any thoughts 
personally about the topic, but it's been asked in the media and there's been criticisms coming from all over the place. Whether it's a Rennie tactic problem, a Hooper captaincy problem. Hooper captaincy, is that something you think is going to continue into the next year? Do you have any doubts about that going into the future at this time? I don't know how much influence Hooper has on field as a captain against the opposition and with the ref. Like, we've seen him badger refs a bit and and kind of, you know, things got a bit strained there with Paul Williams. Um, I don't hear him a lot. Like, he's not not the silent, you know, ent like Rob Simmons as captain, but he's he's out there. He's niggling here and there, but... Um, there was a bit in the game actually where he was running along in back play and calling out, calling to the ref how all the Argentinians were offside, and then they got called. So he's, you know, he's he's aware of what's going on. He's leading by example. I'm sure he's a good team player, and I'm sure all the players respect him and his work ethic. I don't feel like he's super chummy with a whole lot of the players. Like I don't see him as a guy who's hanging out with all the other players. He seems a little bit of a loner, like a, a through through leadership, maybe a bit of a, you know, focused on doing what he can for the team, focused on rallying the troops, maybe not playing, um, sort of putting a whole lot of time towards being one of the guys. But, I mean, that might just be the perception we get. He looks like a hard worker focused on leadership. If that's not working for them, if they feel like there's a disconnect between him and the players or him and the referees, I mean, this is the time. They can, they can do whatever they want. They're not wedded to him so um, if they think there's a better option out there putting aside whether they think they get what they need from him at seven he was one of our elite players this year like he was everywhere all the time um, are you happy getting that out of him and he doesn't think <laughs> yeah. he's captain and who do you pick instead I was going to say I was happy getting that out of you Leo about Hooper about how yeah he was not, not about how the guys stood up when, when all the guys I had I've talked about this year um, I still think there's heaps of potential out there and I'd still like to see it develop over the years a bit differently how it seems to have been. But you can't you can't deny that objectively Hooper was busy and and carried his carried his way and what we lacked um overall is, you know, if it's if it's a skill Hooper doesn't have, um, then you know, it's only a small piece of the overall. It wasn't just down to one man. Um but can you get that out of him? I still think he'd be amazing off the bench. If you thought you had a great starting back three and you brought him on at 55 minutes, I still think that would work really well. So, um, you know, you would have that opportunity if he wasn't captain, but who do you pick as captain now? You can't there's, really pick any of no the rich guys. You can't pick Alatoa because he can't keep his spot on the side. You can't pick Rob Simmons. He's not there. You can't pick Tamur <laughs> or Hodge or Hallett Petty because they're all... All over the place. Nick White. You can't pick Liam Wright. He's not even the, the team. Not sure Nick White has the composure for. He's for a bit cheeky. Yeah, I don't know. He's got the cheeky I think persona. He plays his role. Goes, yeah. He's too much of a halfback. Of that. Yeah. Too much niggle in him. But that's okay. So Hooper's the third most captain Wallaby of all time. Um, Fifty-two games, I think he's won twenty of them. It's not a great record. No, it's but not. You know, then he's played under Checker for the majority of his captaincy. Again, Checker didn't have a great record, as we know. So, do you, do you put it down more to captain or coach or just situation at the time? Um, I think he always puts in 
100% across the game. He, he barely drops his level the whole game, and I think that's what's so impressive. He's so durable. Um, he's just always tenacious. He's always in the game. And, yeah, we've acknowledged many times that he doesn't have – he's not a classic seven. He doesn't give you that all-round kind of pilfering that you probably would like to have, but I think he makes up for that in so many different areas around the field. So who knows? Next next year, I just don't have a read on how much Rennie is kind of – how happy he is with him and their kind of relationship. It's hard to get a read on that through just press conferences or, or whatever – um, but you're right, it would be the time to change three seasons out from a World Cup. Um, you could say Hooper's had his run and and Brenny might pick someone else, but then, again, you'd have to be picking them week to week and there's not that many guys that were picked week to week across these six games. It was Nick White, it was Harry Wilson, Hooper, Karora Beatty, um, Matt Phillip. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. And I don't think there's probably anyone within that you'd be captaining. I think it's too early for someone like Harry Wilson. Um, Liam Wright's not in the 23 enough. It's, Hunter Paisami as well. difficult one. Put Hunter in. Hunter, but it's very, yeah. Steep. What does yeah. James O'Connor, First does James O'Connor, if he's playing 10? Maybe. I think it's too much responsibility. I don't, I don't necessarily most. like 10s as, as captains, but, yeah. you know, they're, they're usually busy with a lot of other I don't think I've ever seen him stuff. as a captain of any team that he's played in, but there's always a time for something new. He may not be there at 10, though. You just don't know for next year. Could be Tamua. I think Tamua is probably the other natural choice. But again, it's you've got to have him in the in the 15 week to week. So we'll have to see how the Super Rugby plays out to actually get a read on that, I think. I think I think you're right, though, that Rennie's now seen a year of this group. He knows he's got a bunch of new guys. And he's seen what all the old war horses bring to the group. And he hasn't upset the, the circus tent straight away like he's given them a chance to keep some guys from the previous seasons there's some continuity let's build on that if he thinks the new is the new is good and he's sticking with it and he can start looking at changing some of the guys that were the continuity well after a season is that's the option no no one was gonna um beat him up for keeping hooper this year like mm. with the amount of change that was going on no one was ever going to criticize for that but they might in future if he takes it to the world cup and it's not really working I think we can say, though, we're in safe hands with Dave Rennie. I think he's been really, really good in his first year in charge, and perhaps the results haven't been there, but a few kicks different from Hodgie, and we might have been, what, could have been four wins, four two. two losses. No. Yeah. Bounce of the ball, kick of the ball, things yeah. change. I mean, next next year our fortunes could change, and I think Dave Rennie is, is definitely the right choice for Wallaby's coach. It does make it feel a lot more positive when you think about the fact that it could turn into four wins, two losses. Um, let's leave that game. We spent long enough. Let's go up north. We had the Autumn Nations Cup. You had the finals. Um, we had Fiji finally get a game in this cup. They took down Georgia up there in Edinburgh, 38-24. The Fijians finally had a little bit of time to fly, a little bit of thing to celebrate. They weren't locked in a hotel room. Uh, for another week here. So good to see them out there. Sad they didn't get more of game time out there. And Georgia got a chance to actually get some points in this game as well, um, which hopefully they'll take some solace in and hopefully they get their chance moving forward. Ireland consolidated against a Scottish team that had been playing well, 31-16. 
and Wales showed that they haven't dropped too far off the pace with a 38-18 to win over Italy. But the game probably with, again, the most controversy, England and France. And we already talked about uh, how France wasn't able to field their first string team in this. A lot of pundits, a lot of media were saying that this was a third or fourth string France team that was coming to Twickenham because obviously players with club commitments and they'd had played too many games or missed too many games for those clubs. But France, I mean, they a team of really unknowns coming into this game against a full-strength England team, and they had every chance to win it. And as many people have pointed out, a few sort of calls that were missed or could have gone the other way. And France were in the driver's seat for the majority of this game. Um, with England coming back very late, pushing it to extra time, and Owen Farrell on his second chance to put over a penalty to win it, they win it 22-19, to 19, England, Autumn Nation Cup champions. I love that they, uh, the French prove us right. Like They are the ultimate, we don't care who we're playing, we can beat you team. Like They really just... They, like sometimes, yeah, dark horse. Sometimes they are not there, and you're like, "Yep, this is a bad team, and they are playing badly, and they are no match." But often enough, recently, they've been able to find a, a way, find a strategy, find the energy, and find the focus, and and do this to a team who were probably, you know, falsely complacent. Um, and it's just such a shame that it didn't come off for them when the the missed calls on those knock-ons like I, I re-watched I saw those um specifically after the game to just look at just how obvious they were and like as a as a person as a as a fan watching on tv like it's so obvious maybe from our elevated angle it just it's you know a different view to the ref but where was the TMO the linesman and the ref in these drop balls and and you know, you got guys dropping the ball and then playing it on the ground to recover it. Like, it just shouldn't... The game shouldn't be um, that loosely officiated that that can happen because that, that just sucks for the French. They deserve this one. Mm. Great game, though. I mean, tip for tat, really. And France, yeah, we thought they didn't have a chance and they just played above their abilities again. And such a good team to watch. I think England, We as Australians, we love to see England lose. And there's yep. always a benefit Guilty. for us in that, but and ha- having to see Owen Farrell miss a kick, another guilty pleasure for us. But um, yeah, France. I think it's good for world rugby that France are uh, coming back with a vengeance with this younger team that they brought through, and um, we're seeing that investment in their youth domestically really pay off now, after a few years of pretty average teams being put out. Um, their national team. They're ranked fourth in the world now. Yeah, in England, I think we've seen how good they are in these close matches and they close games out like no other team almost at the moment. I think the All Blacks in South Africa are up in, at their level. Um, but yeah, they're pretty ruthless when it comes to actually closing out games and Farrell barely misses a kick. We 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 were hopeful given he missed that one early on in, in extra time, but yeah, just unlucky, I think, in the end and... But a good good kind of contest, I think, in competition didn't mean a lot when it started, but I think it evolved into something that we cared about, and particularly given the teams in this final, I think it was quite a, a good final. And going forward, it sets up, like, 
what will be a great sort of Six Nations. It's only sort of a month or two away. Um, and I think even the the English um, players were sort of speaking sort of the French's praises and saying that these guys are going to be a force um, come 2021 Six Nations time. And I think there'll be, hopefully Wales bounce back a little bit. We've got Scotland on the uptick. Ireland, though they're ageing, they're still a strong team. So if you have France firing, England firing, it's going to be a very competitive Six Nations. I think, again, Italy's going to really struggle. But those other five teams seem to be all performing pretty well. And, yeah, given the time they've spent together in this campaign, you'd hope that with the Six Nations there that they've already formed some stronger combinations after quite a long layoff. And and that should actually make for some pretty, I think, entertaining and hopefully error-free rugby come Six Nations time. So they just... They've, they've finished earlier in the year's Six Nations lately because they missed games. They've played the Autumn Nations Cup and now early next year there's going to be Six Nations again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've basically... So like really, some of these teams have had almost a third Six Nations. They'll be coming into like a third Six Nations. Oh, that's yeah, unprecedented outside like a World Cup lead-up for the amount of time they will probably spend in each other's pocket. And... I mean, they're going to go back and play domestic rugby now and they've got European Champions Cup and Challenge Cup, all that stuff. So they'll, they'll be playing throughout December and January. Um, but, yeah, straight back into it, I think, in, in early February. Um, so it's going, to be, it's going to be good. And I think there probably will be some fans that get back into stadiums now because that's already happening, happening in the Premier League and Premiership Rugby. I believe they're, um, they're letting a certain amount of fans in. So as things return a little bit to normality or towards normality, the Six Nations should have some supporters there. So we'll get a bit more of a better atmosphere for rugby games. And, yeah, hopefully it'd um, be good to see it on Amazon again. After that, it's been pretty impressive just being able to stream the games. And just about the same time as when we'll get Super Rugby coming back as well um, in that sort of start of next year. So it's, it's not long... Not very much time off, boys. We're, we're going to be back before you know it. Refreshed, full of Christmas food, <laughs> fueled, and ready to complain. Exactly. Oh, um, what am I, who am I going to whinge about with Rob Simmons out of the country? Oh, I'm so sure you find someone. Pick a new target. That's it. No, maybe, it. maybe I'll take a more, more optimistic, positive streak and ditch some cynicism and, and give us a well, bit more rope. That sounds like a New Year's resolution that you're going to fail after about one week of Super Rugby, I reckon. That's, that's how they work, right? We've Pretty... lost Tom Staniforth from the Waratahs. You lost Simmons and you've lost Hannigan, who we don't tend to complain about, but other people do. Uh, a few more likable characters in there. You've got Sam Wax coming in. I don't know how you feel about him. He might be the next cab off the rank. Big fan. Wish I could grow that hair. Jack Wheaton <laughs> is the other... Signing they got from the Highlanders, um, son of former All Black. Uh, not a bad, not a bad person to add to the ranks. He is eligible for Australia as well. That's good to know. Good and from the Highlanders yeah, yeah. team, that's my team away from home. So, I all think sounding we're just good. All gonna be, Back on the Waratahs next be, year. Also, looking at the force, how many signings they've made, I think we're going to see a very competitive Super Rugby AU. Um, set of fixtures because the Brumbies always a good team Reds as we know the youth is starting to pay off that investment and the force are just going to be a bit of a dark horse don't know what they're going to do with all these new signings and putting those together 
Um, so, yeah, interesting. Maybe Jono will finally get his run at a Wallabies jersey. More change, yeah, exactly. fresh 10. Big season out of Jono. Just keep the bleach hair going. Honestly, I, I, I think that ship has sailed, unfortunately, guys. I will, um... I will believe it when he has retired. <laughs> I disagree. I think if... Let's All just remember he's younger than Tamua. A bit of an injury. He's younger than That's Tamua. right. He's younger than Tamua. And he's only about a month older than, than Jock, isn't he? Yeah, they're both around. He's younger than Jock, isn't he? Anyway, they're both around 30. They're so all is There's a lot of guys. you got that older pedigree of, of fly halves that all have a chance to actually start for the Wallabies unless they decide, all right, well, we're going for Noel full-time, we're going for Will Harrison full-time. That's the only threats to those guys. Well, that's what we'll be talking about when we are back in 2021. A few weeks off, uh, almost a month, a bit of time to enjoy a bit of Christmas. Uh, hope everyone keeps well, stays safe. Make sure you are logging onto our socials. We'll pop up any other new signings or any other news we can see. That's at Running Rugby Podcast or at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter. And if you've got any spare time over the holiday season, make sure you get your eyes around some of the Oceans Apart film. Um, really important sort of story there in the Pacific Islands. You need to understand what's holding these these groups back because they're such a they're such a, a breeding ground for some of the elite players. We want to see more of them, and we need them to to get their share of the pie that is world rugby. Yeah, there's a stat that I think amongst elite players around the world in rugby, 25% of them are made up of Pacific Island players. Um, and some of the most devastating and entertaining players come from from that region. So we need to support them and foster the growth and reinvestment of, of funds into rugby there so that continues to happen. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd really encourage everyone to watch the film. It's free on Amazon Prime. Um, Dan Leo did a, a very good job at actually getting around the place and interviewing people and and really drawing some attention to the problems that come out of Fiji, Samoa and, and Tonga with the way that rugby is actually run in those countries. And also, I guess, in terms of being eligible for those countries, if you played for the Wallabies, if you played for the All Blacks and you only get one game and then you're actually looking to play for your home nation again, they're trying to get the laws changed around that so you actually have a second nation that you can opt for um, for players that aren't, say, featuring in in their original team, very often they're actually able to jump across and, and play for a Fiji or, or whoever to actually strengthen those teams and, um, yeah, get more exposure around the world for, for different fixtures. Um, so there's a few things in the background working away, but hopefully we see some positive change. And, yeah, I think it's just about awareness. So that film draws um, attention to important areas that, that people should be aware of, I think, and, yeah. Get, in, get amongst it, have a look. Absolutely. I think that's what my plan will be over this holiday break. I'll get myself a free trial on Amazon and have a look at it as well there. Thanks again for tuning in on this jilted and slightly strange 2020 season. It's been a bit odd, a bit different, but we've enjoyed bringing all the rugby stats and all reviews coming to you guys. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back in 2021. Keep on running. Run.